please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Jonah. And turning to Jonah, uh, chapter 1 at verse 17. In the church Bibles, you'll find this on page 774. For those who were visiting last Sunday, we uh, were looking at uh, the beginning of Jonah in uh, chapter 1. And this morning we are uh, turning to Jonah's prayer in chapter 2. We'll begin our reading at verse 17 of chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head, or about my head. At the root of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Well, as mentioned uh, uh, last week, we began to look at uh, the book of Jonah, and we highlighted that Jonah is one of those familiar characters that for many people they are uh, aware of. Uh, We may not have read the entirety of the Bible or even of the Old Testament, but the story of Jonah is probably one that we have some recollection of uh, from different Uh, avenues of references to the Bible and and to religion. Uh, We have heard the story of a man who was swallowed by a great fish and then spit out three days later. Uh, And so in one sense, the story is familiar enough. But in another sense, we ask the question, what is the significance of that story? What is the significance of this short prophecy about one small aspect of his life? Uh, There is much more to the life of Jonah, uh, and it's not disclosed in this book. So what is the book of Jonah really all about? And one of the things we began to unpack last time is, is that the book of Jonah is really bringing before us an understanding of the God who is. Who is the living God? And does our view of God need to be recalibrated? Does it need to be corrected? according to what God has actually revealed about himself. You remember how last time uh, Jonah fled from the Lord's command. He essentially said, no, Lord. 
uh, to the command to go to Nineveh and to preach uh, to the Assyrian people, the enemies of Israel. Uh, he, he went presumably in the opposite direction. But when he went down into the ship uh, to sail across the waters, the Lord caused a great storm to come upon uh, the ship. Uh, the sailors eventually concluded this was something of uh, uh, the, the divine beings, uh, the gods have turned against us and someone has incurred guilt. Uh, and so by casting lots, they assumed it must be Jonah. But you remember Jonah himself confessed uh, that he did uh, uh, provoke guilt, that he did flee from the Lord's presence. And he highlighted that the God whom he serves is the God who made the heaven and the earth, the God who made the land and the sea. Uh, and he did say, this storm has come upon you because of me. And so Jonah told them to cast him into the water. And by doing that, uh, the storm would subside. But what was so startling is, is that the sailors didn't want to do it. That implanted into the human conscience, a conscience that can be seared, but implanted into the human conscience is an awareness of the importance and of the sacredness of life. And so what is amazing here is that these sailors tried to save Jonah. They tried to get back to shore before ultimately concluding that this must be the verdict of the God of heaven. And so they cast Jonah into the waters uh, in the end. And really, we might think that this is the end of the story of Jonah because it, it actually wraps up. The prophet who turned against God and fled from the Lord is ultimately brought to judgment by the Lord. It, it actually wraps itself up. But that's not the end of the book of Jonah. That's not the end of the story of Jonah because the Lord's aim is not the death of Jonah. The Lord's aim is the deliverance of Jonah. And so the fact that the story goes on beyond the fact that he was cast into the sea is startling in and of itself. But this morning, we want to turn to what happens next when Jonah does go into the waters and his experience in the midst of the waters, how he cries out to the Lord. We want to look at Jonah's prayer and we want to see that because God has made known his mercy uh, towards sinners, uh, we are to turn to him. We should look to him for help. We want to look at uh, chapter 2 in two thoughts. We want to think about Jonah's descent into distress, uh, his downward trajectory. And then secondly, we want to think about uh, the deliverance of Jonah as well. As we're turning to chapter 2, uh, there's a couple of things that are uh, worth pointing out uh, about Jonah's prayer. Uh, the first is, is that you'll notice, even as you look in your English Bibles, uh, that the arrangement of the words has changed. Uh, whereas in chapter 1, it was historical prose. It's simply describing the events as they are unfolding. These are, this is the sequence of time. This is what happened, and then this happened. When you come to chapter 2, you notice that it is actually arranged in a poetic way. Uh, the literary writing has changed here. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Not to say that it's not true, but because it's poetic, it is trying to convey something in a distinct way. Poetry uh, communicates not just facts. It doesn't just communicate information. Poetry is trying to communicate emotions. 
It's trying to give us vivid impressions so that we not only understand what happens, but so that we can enter into and to appreciate the experience of another. That's what's happening here with Jonah. As Jonah is expressing this prayer, it's not just that we would understand that Jonah prays to God, but so that we would be able to enter into that experience and to appreciate what he is going through in his own situation. The second thing to notice about Jonah's prayer is just how the wording of it is shaped by biblical imagery, particularly from the book of Psalms. That Jonah, as he is praying here, he, he is praying Bible. Uh, Jonah is, is appealing to the scriptures in the way that he prays, which tells us many things. On the one hand, it tells us that Jonah had taken in scripture. As a prophet, that might seem obvious, but he was someone who had taken in God's word so that when he spoke, it was God's word that formed his ideas and formed his way of articulating himself. And that's particularly true of his allusions to the book of Psalms, showing us that the Psalms are acutely able to give expression to our experiences. That the Psalms are worth our meditation because they allow us to give words to articulate our experiences, to be able to share with others so that they might enter into that experience as well. That, that Jonah, who could meditate on David's words that were written hundreds of years before, could naturally assume those words about his own experience of sinking into the waters, the billows coming over me, I'm sinking, I am dying, that, that Jonah could just naturally take on those, that language and the biblical imagery is telling us not only that Jonah understood God's word, but that he is able to express himself well. And that's, that's, a, that's a, something we should be thankful for, that God's word and the, the poetic scriptures especially allow us to give words to what we are going through so that we are able to relate with and to share with others of our experiences. And that's one of the reasons why we should memorize and take in God's word, not just to store up in our mind, but so that we can relate with others, so that we can share with one another the troubles that we are going through. But then we can also be directed by God's truth. So you see that even as we come uh, to Jonah's prayer. But what stands out about Jonah's prayer is the communicating of his distress. You see that there in verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. The word for distress is a word that can express both an, an outward pressure. Trouble is around me. But it is a word that is also used to describe an inward pressure. Uh, the inward pressure of regret over past decisions or over, over regret over passions of the past. So there is a weighing of the person. There's a pressing on the, the heart, soul, uh, that is being expressed there in the word distress. Jonah's trouble is not just outwardly because he is sinking in the water. Jonah's 
trouble here is, is also an inward state about what he has done. That he is someone who has made choices and actions uh, that are regrettable. And so uh, this, this prayer here is being expressed as one of distress. That distress is captured by the imagery that he uses. He says there uh, in verse 2, out of the belly of shale. Shale simply is a way of describing the realm of dead, uh, the, the realm of death. Jonah equates himself with the realm of death. He has sunk down into the waters. For the mariners who threw Jonah over, perhaps they stood a moment of silence as they saw the storm subside and as they looked down into the water. But for the mariners, they would have eventually carried on. There was no expectation of Jonah coming back up. To them, Jonah was dead. And to Jonah in the waters, this is the state of death. And when he is swallowed by this great fish, it is also equated as a form of death that he is experiencing himself. He goes on and he says in verses 5 and 6, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. The weeds were wrapped around uh, about my head at the root of the mountains. That is the, the very bottom of the seafloor. I went down to the land whose bars closed me forever. Do you hear how Jonah is talking there? He's describing his, his environment as, as a form of prison. That he's, he's locked behind bars that he can't open. That he is in a helpless situation. That he is barred from being able to deliver himself. And he, he describes this as one of confinement. This is where I'm stuck. He describes the seaweed being wrapped about his head. Maybe you've had that experience even swimming out uh, on the waters. You can be swimming and all of a sudden you come into a, a chunk of seaweed and it just wraps around your body. Uh, you, you have to actually peel it off at times because it just uh, confines you. It ties you up. And here Jonah is describing this situation where he is bound. That he can't, he can't undo himself. He's in the depths of the water. He's swallowed by a great fish. And he is uh, trapped uh, in his own situation. And so his distress is captured by these different vivid imagery of shale and also by this downward trajectory. Back in chapter 1, you remember in verse 5, it says that he went down to Joppa. It then said that when he got onto the boat, he went downwards into the innermost part of the ship. And now we find Jonah going downward even further to the depths of the bottom of the seafloor. In other words, there's this trajectory that is being described about Jonah. Ever since he fled from God, ever since he said no to the will of God's instruction, Jonah has been on a downward course ever since. And that downward course has made him more and more distressful. As he is resisting God, he is finding this is ultimately the end to which his choices lead him to. A pit of despair. It leads him to death. It leads him to Sheol. He goes further than that. In verse 3, you notice he says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows, they passed over me. Jonah's distress is not just what he is facing outwardly in the waters. 
the fact that he probably can't swim or that the storm waters are going to drown him. His distress is that he says there in verse 3, this is from you. You cast me into the deep. These are your waves that are coming over me. These are your billows that are passing over me. Jonah is experiencing not just something that is threatening his life, death itself, but he's facing the judgment of his God. That he is facing here what is the end of sin. And so he says in verse 4, I am driven from your sight. I am banished from your sight. That's where sin goes. It goes not, not from a separation from God, but a separation from God's favor. Of being banished from the presence of God's delight. This is the end of sin, the judgment of God and of death. This is something that we need to reckon with because we can have a very low view of sin. We can brush sin off as something that no one's perfect. What's the big deal about sin? To, to sin is to be human. To err is to be human. Or we can even have a category of sin in our head that we operate with, but we think about sin as simply a failure to be what I want to be. A falling short of my own ideals. I have failed myself. But according to scripture, sin is serious because, because the wages of sin is death. This is where sin leads to. It leads to a separation from God. Of being banished from God. Of, of a downward trajectory towards death itself. And so here is Jonah who is facing the, the, the end of what sin leads to. The scripture says that the punishment of sin is eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. It is, it is the separation of God's help. It is the separation of God's favor. And so what makes Jonah's situation so agonizing is, is that he is realizing, yes, his stubbornness, yes, his foolishness, but he is now realizing where it ultimately leads Seeking to flee from God, he now finds himself in the belly of Sheol. He now finds himself in the realm of death. And that's what this prayer is all about. He realizes something about God. It is before God that he has to give an account. And that his sins will find him out. But Jonah knows more about God than simply he is a God who will judge sin. And this is where Jonah turns a course that many fail to see even in our own day. Because Jonah prays to the Lord, his understanding goes beyond simply thinking about God as the judge of all the earth. You notice there in these verses, in verses 4 and then again in verse 7, it says, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. What does it mean to remember? It is calling to mind. But it is calling to mind in order to act. Sometimes we forget things, don't we? You might go downstairs, and then you get downstairs, and you think, why did I, why did I come into this room? What was I going to get? I forget. But when you forget something, it's not just something in the mind. I forgot what I was trying to do. 
When you forget something, it prevents you from acting. If you forget what you were going to do when you got to the kitchen, you can't do what you were going to do in the kitchen. But when you remember something, it's not just the mind is informed or recalls, but the mind recalls in order to act. And so when Jonah remembers the Lord, he's recalling something that he knows about God. But he recalls it in order to act on that knowledge. So when he says, I remembered the Lord, or when he highlights the temple, Jonah is sinking into death. And his thought goes towards the temple in Jerusalem. Why is Jonah thinking about the temple in Jerusalem? Why is he thinking about this big structure at a time when he's about to die? It's because the temple is not just a building. It's because the temple wasn't just a symbol of God's presence. It's because the temple communicated the mercy of God. The temple communicated that there was a way in which one who offended God could be reconciled with God. It was at the temple that sacrifices were offered. And so Jonah here is recalling the fact, yes, I've been banished from the Lord's presence. Yes, the waves, the billows have come upon me. Yes, I am sinking down and my life is fainting away. But this I know. There's a temple. God has shown that he is a God of mercy. And so he recalls this, appealing to the fact that there is a way in which his sins can be covered. There is a way in which he can be restored with God. Jonah looked to the temple for mercy. And in the same way, Christianity has oftentimes focused its attention primarily on the cross. That that the gospel is about preaching Christ crucified. And why is that? Why do we keep talking about Jesus dying? It's because we see in the death of Jesus the way in which God's mercy is communicated to sinners. We know not just that God is a God who is holy and just and righteous and who will judge the heavens and the earth, but we also recognize there's more to God we recognize that the God who is just is also a God who is merciful. And so in our sin, we are able to appeal to the fact of what we know about God. God has promised to show his mercy in Jesus Christ. And so just as Jonah is remembering the temple, Christianity teaches us to think about the temple of God fulfilled. As Jesus himself says, he is the temple. He communicates God's presence with us. But more than that, Jesus communicates the mercy of God towards sinners. And as Jesus himself said, he would experience what Jonah himself went through. Three days in shale and then alive. As Jonah was three days in the belly of the the great fish, so Jesus would be three days entombed. But then he would rise again. That was a sign to others. But it teaches us something about the experience of Jesus. Jonah went through this 
time of distress because he realized what he had done. His foolishness in rebelling against God. His distress was over his own sin and realizing the wages of sin is death. But Jesus came into this world and Jesus himself said that the waves and the billows would crash upon him. Jesus spoke about a baptism that he would be baptized with. Jesus himself entered into Psalm 69. That he would experience God's judgment against him. Not for his own sins. But as a way in which sinners could be restored with God. Jesus endured the penalty of God's judgment. In order that sinners might be made right with God. And so the scriptures teach us that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. He turns away the wrath of God. He covers our sins so that we can find mercy. Jesus experienced the fullness of God's judgment. He experienced what death is. And as Jonah himself said, I am banished from your sight. Yet even then I look to the temple. Jesus himself would experience being banished when he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? He entered into the effect of God's judgment in order to equate and bring about God's deliverance. When you have messed up, When you have hit rock bottom. When your sins have found you out. What do you do? When it feels like everything is going to swallow you up. Where do you turn? The book of Jonah is teaching us. Not just that there is right and wrong. And that there is a God who will judge. The book of Jonah is teaching us that there is a God to turn to. That when you hit the root of the mountains, the bottom of the seafloor, there is a God of mercy. That we can turn to God in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Because God forgives those who turn to him. Jonah screwed up. And yet Jonah could turn and find mercy. That's what the book of Jonah is about. It is discovering that there is mercy with God. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Do you see how Jonah is able to turn to God based on what he knows, what he remembers about God? His sins don't destroy him. When he looks to God for help. So even when things look dark. God is there in the darkness. And we can call out to him for help. For forgiveness and for mercy. That's how we're to understand what Jonah goes on to say in verse 8. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You can understand that in a couple of different ways. It could be talking about those who who forsake the steadfast love of the Lord, uh, turning away from the Lord. Or it could be talking about those who forsake their covenant loyalty to the Lord. But in either case, Jonah is describing 
a situation in which people turn to an idol for their help rather than to the living God. And Jonah's saying that's worthless. Jonah's saying that not because he's a bigot, not because he's arrogant, but because Jonah believes that his problem is real and that he needs real mercy and that only the living God can deliver him from death. That's why he says all these other idols are worthless. And so whether he's thinking about the tendency of the people of Israel to turn to idolatry or whether he's thinking about others who worship other religions, Jonah is saying there is only one savior. There is only one source of mercy. It comes through the living God who has revealed his mercy in Jesus Christ, the temple of God, who would offer up a sacrifice to cover sin. And so Jonah ultimately declares this a voice of thanksgiving in verse 9. He says, but with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. With what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. You remember when we were looking at Jacob, we highlighted that the language of vows is not making a bargain. Uh, he's not, Jonah's not trying to make a deal with the Lord here. It's rather underscoring the, com- the seriousness of his commitment. On the basis of who God is, I act accordingly. But there's something more to realize here. In verse 9, when he says what he is saying here, Jonah's response of offering sacrifice, of paying vows to the Lord, mirrors the actions of the sailors. You remember that's how the sailors responded when the storm was ceased. It said they, they offered sacrifice to the Lord and they paid their vows. In other words, the prophet of God has come to the exact same place as those pagan sailors. He came to depend on the mercy of God to save him. As one person has said, when it comes to sin, all are equal before the Lord in terms of their need for mercy. And it is sometimes those who do not know him who realize it most quickly. Even those in the church need God's mercy. Even those who have been brought up with the scriptures need God's mercy. Even those who are prophets need God's mercy. And so in this way, the book of Jonah is really a book that is about humility. It is attacking pride. And showing us that we all stand in need of God's mercy. Pride can manifest itself in all kinds of ways. There can even be a form of religious pride. Where people can take comfort in the fact that they are very religious people. That's what we see in Jesus' own time with the Pharisees. You remember how Jesus impresses upon them that they too need mercy. But the Pharisees themselves prided themselves and looked down on others. They looked down on the tax collector. I thank you that I'm not like this tax collector. Whereas what they should have concluded is, like this tax collector, I too stand in need of God's mercy. Spiritual pride can come out in all sorts of ways. But one way in which we can be proud is is that even when we realize 
that we have messed up. Even when we realize that things have gone in a downward trajectory. Even when we realize that we have committed many sins. Even then, we still don't want to turn to the Lord. Why is that? It's pride. If you recognize that you have sinned against God. If you recognize that you have done wrong. If you recognize that you have guilt. And still won't turn to the Lord. What is keeping you? The Lord has made it plain. That he is a God who shows mercy to those who turn to him. That's what Jonah is celebrating. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah has come to the same place as those sailors. Crying out to the Lord. And then to be delivered. And so it tells us that the Lord spoke to the fish. And had vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Jonah had sinned against the Lord and deserved to be banished. But in the Lord's mercy, the Lord was not done with Jonah. He appointed a fish to swallow him. And the Lord intended to teach his stubborn prophet about mercy. Jonah would sink to the depths of the ocean in the belly of the fish. But after three days, the Lord directed that fish to deliver him back to life. Through the temple of God, God showed that he is a God of mercy. And in the fullness of time, Jesus would show God's mercy by experiencing the judgment of God in the place of sinners. He was truly driven away from God's sight in order that sinners who believe in him might truly be delivered from all their sins. Do you believe not only that God is a God who judges, but do you believe that God is a God of mercy in Christ? Let us remember what God has revealed and let us look to the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about the prayer of Jonah, that we would be people who humble ourselves before you, recognizing that we have sinned, recognizing the weight of sin, recognizing the end of sin. But we pray, Lord, that we would see that while the wages of sin is death, The gift of God is eternal life to all who believe. So go before us and lead us in your truth. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.